Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. Five years old now, but still behaving like a toddler. After the strangest close season we're ever going to see, we're about to embark on 10 months of football that mm, none of us might get to actually see in person. So much still up in the air, but tonight we'll try and make sense of what we do know so far. And joining me to do just that, first of all, we've got John Sinclair. How are you doing, John? Hello, I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. How are you finding lockdown? Um, it's it's um, it's become the new normal very very quickly for me. I'm in a right routine. I'm working from home at the moment, Monday to Friday, uh, and I'm just a little bit of a a little bit robotic with it all, just kind of getting on with it. But uh, I've adapted to it pretty well. Things are going well so far on my end, anyway. But a man like yourself is missing the pub. I can tell. Yes, I am indeed. Yeah, um, all sorts of back and forth going on in my in my brain about whether or not I'll be there on day one when they reopen. I think I might have to give that a, a week or two before I head out and brave the <laughs> brave the unwashed masses of the port of Leith. Then, like uh, every side in the SPFL right now, um, we are lawyering up, and uh, we've got Simon Cato with us again tonight. Uh, hi, Simon. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Richard. Uh, yes, all good. I'm kind of getting fed up of lockdown now, I would say, but otherwise, all good. Yeah, uh, John has a kid on the way, but you've you've got a couple of kids, obviously, slightly older, but um, that's I'm sure been quite challenging. Yeah, I've got three of them. Well, I wouldn't mind if I was here and not working, and they were here, or they were at school and I was at home working. But me being at home while they are and me trying to work is a uh, pretty uh, tiring combination so it's okay most of the time yep um definitely a challenge that a lot of people out there have, have had to face um becoming teachers for the first time in their life it's been it's been interesting and finally back for season number six six count them martin cleanest how are you martin i'm good richard you just can't seem to shake me off can you no, no, like so many horrible diseases one might think of, except that's deeply inappropriate to, to mention that right now. Anyway, um, delighted to have the three of you on. As I say, we'll try and cover what's been three or four months since we last uh, convened for a um, current football chat. So there's been, in some respects, a lot going on, and in some respects, not very much going on, because a lot of the action hasn't obviously involved action on the pitch. Um, it's involved action in the courtroom or action coming up in the, the courtroom. So the first kind of decision that was made, John, was to end last season. And we're one of very few leagues in Europe that actually made that decision. Um, do you think we, we made, firstly, the right decision? or And secondly, do you think it was uh, too quick? Uh, I think that um, time will show that we probably did make the correct decision in closing the season off when we did. Um, whether that was the the right time to have made the decision, as you've, you've asked me a second question, um, I'm not so sure. I don't think that, firstly, the health risks involved in putting football back on have been justified by the, the product that we've seen in Germany and England and uh, wherever else you choose to get your televised fix. I think the games have been dire. I think that the seasons have been foregone conclusions for the most part. And that watching these surreal kind of sub games without a crowd just doesn't reflect the sport as as I or as we know it. Um, so I think that history will look back pretty kindly on our decision to close the top league. Interesting that you said that um, very few leagues have closed. My my reading is that I think a third of all winter leagues in Europe have shut down all all top flights, and we're by no means you know 
the only big, in inverted commas, league amongst them. France, Belgium and the Netherlands have all cut down their leagues and I would suggest that we're not as big as any of the three of those leagues, maybe Belgium at a push. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not that crazy of a decision that we've taken. Where I have issue is with how quickly the decision was made. It seemed just the minute lockdown started, the minute it was clear how serious COVID and coronavirus were going to be, we needed to make a decision right there and then. I think a little bit of patience could have been used. I think there was time to weigh up the options. However, I think that despite that, with the evidence that we've now got and and the health issues involved and the financial issues involved in putting a game on, I think that ultimately we still would have arrived at the same decision. I just think there was more time to to analyse things before reaching it. Yeah, it's the, you're right. It's the Belgium, the Dutch and the French League were all uh, cold along with the Scottish League. It's still, I, I would say, a, a minority of the European Winter Leagues. But uh, but we, we didn't stand alone as far as that went, Simon. Sure. But uh, I'm interested in your take on it because um, obviously I think the title was, was a... Was a foregone conclusion, but um, the other issues, obviously, relegation is the big one. It's the reason that we're uh, the clubs are heading to court um, at the end of this month um, was one of the issues, and also Aberdeen qualifying for Europe by default uh, was another one. Sure. Um, so maybe maybe um, saying that these issues were were done and dusted is is jumping the gun a little bit, um, but I think that Aberdeen finishing fourth at worst was. You know, approaching a foregone conclusion, I certainly think it would have taken something dramatic for for Livy or any of the other teams behind us to have caught up. Um, so you can we can split hairs, and there's obviously a prize money um, implication. But I think the difference between fourth and third wasn't one that was going to see me want to fight to to play the remaining. 12 or 13 games, however many it was. Um, I wasn't going to fight over that for for the sake of for one league place when the key factor there, getting into Europe, has been has been confirmed anyway. Um, I think the health risks and the financial costs in terms of testing, etc., to get these games on wasn't worth it for, for the sake of the, the one extra league place that was up for grabs. And relegation is obviously a very big issue, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more, but... Uh, I don't have the the greatest of sympathy for my friends in the Gorgie area of the city. Well, no, no, I don't suppose any of us uh, here on the call or indeed listening do have that much sympathy for hearts. Um, But needless to say, had we been in that scenario, I think we may have taken a different viewpoint. Simon, you can maybe help us explain exactly what it is that Hearts and Partick Thistle are actually trying to achieve uh, with this lawsuit and, um, you know, what what routes they're trying to go down? Well, one of the things that's been quite helpful, which is quite unusual in legal matters, is that Partick Thistle took the unusual step of publishing the legal advice that they got from a QC on their website and on their Twitter feed, and it's still there. I, I read it again today. And so that gives you a pretty good indication of um, what the petition is about. And... Um, I'll try and not make this a a dull legal um, part, but it's really to do with the way that uh, it's about corporate government governance and it's about the way that the SPFL has run its affairs. And I was thinking about how I would describe this in simple terms today, but if if you, me and, and Martin set up a company to run this podcast and we all thought that we were going to share three ways in the spoils of it, and then you and Martin started paying yourselves a hundred grand a year and there was no profit then to give to me, then I would be entitled to say that that was conduct by you that was unfairly prejudicial to my interests, okay? Because I thought I was going to get a third of the profit and you ended up snaffling it all and saying that it was salary, okay? So that's a kind of uh, example of the sort of petition that's brought when people fall out in business that way. A minority shareholder says that the directors of the company are running it away in a way that's unfairly prejudicial. Now here, as I understand it, that is what is being said in a, in a number of different respects. Um, what one, uh, and as I say I rely on the on the, the Partick opinion that they've they've posted, but they are heavily critical of the the yes vote and the and the conduct of that. Um, as you probably know. Um, from the publicity at the time, there was some sort of 
um, FAF. And, and again, there are factual matters which only those sort of privy, privy to the court action will know about. But there seems to be some issue around Dundee's vote where they submitted their vote, it was caught in the email system, they then realised that that vote had effectively become the casting vote, sought to then notify the SPFL that they did not want that vote to, to count and that they would reconsider their position and they ended up uh, reversing their no vote and turning it into a yes vote which had the effect of, of ending, the, ending the season. So there are issues around that um, and, and uh, the, the question I have in relation to that is, well, that's fine, but that was a vote that took place in, um, in April and there was a vote that we just had a bit of a discussion about whether it was premature to end the, the season then. But if the, if, if the vote had been, no, we shouldn't end the season then, then it seems to me that as the weeks passed, it was inevitable that there was going to have to be a further discussion that at some point the season would have to end. The SFA suspended all football. Professional sport was um, uh, allowed by the First Minister with effect from the 22nd of June. The leagues, I think, said that they required a number of weeks to get players up to speed and, and so on to play again. So realistically, there is a question mark about whether football could ever have been played and whether the season could have been completed anyway, even if the clubs had voted in favour of doing so at that vote in, uh, in April. So... The, the, there is a hearing next week. Um, it appears from uh, the statements that have been made in the, in the, in the press today that uh, the three um, respondent clubs, who are the clubs that would uh, uh, have won their leagues and, and secured promotions, so uh, Dundee United, Wraith Rovers and Cove Rangers, have all lodged answers, and so has the SPFL itself. And there will be a hearing next Tuesday at which they will decide where the, the case goes next. In other words, what procedure is going to be used to work out the outcome to the case. And as I understand it, although this has not been in anything um, that's been public, it does appear that there are financial craves as an alternative. So uh, the, the first thing that um, the clubs are looking for, Hearts and Partick, is to have their relegation reduced. But if that's not going to happen, then they want payment of what are really quite substantial sums of money. Yeah, I think it's something like £8 million that Hearts are, are, are after. That's the most realistic scenario, though, isn't it, Simon? Wouldn't you say that ultimately there is either a judgment or an agreement that there is some amount of compensation between zero and £8 million that is actually paid to Hearts? Well, uh, we are now on the 20-whatever, 5th of June, and the players are now back in training for next season. I... Previously, I've done several of these um, unfair prejudice petitions, and if they are fought tooth and nail, they will quite often last anything between 18 months and two years. And um, there is, as I understand it, uh, um, there, there was a suggestion that Hearts might seek interim orders, in other words, an injunction, an interdict to the call in Scotland, to try to prevent the league from starting, but that actually isn't part of their case at the moment. So it seems to me that um, that being the case, I am not sure that there is, uh, in practical terms, sufficient time for this to be heard before the next season starts. So, the, realistically, um, uh, unless unless something was some action was taken to seek an interdict, and they may well be keeping their powder dry on that, but we're starting to get pretty close to the the time for the season starting. I think the first of August is the date that's been given. Um, then it seems to me that probably we are looking at compensation. It's come to this, Martin, because um, a number of reconstruction votes and discussions amounted amounted to zero. There was no appetite within the leagues, partly, I think, because of some score settling after um, the Inverness chief executive managed to, to noise up all his colleagues in the championship. But there didn't seem to be any appetite amongst the chairman for reconstruction. What's your own view on that? We've had the with the reconstruction thing on here before, whether it's, you know, do, we, do, do you go to 10 or 12 or 16 or 18? And I've, I've never really been convinced by any, any of the other ideas. Uh, but in saying that, you know, I'll still, you know, I will still say that I absolutely despise the, the, the split the way we have it now as well. But I'm not sure that any of the ideas that were coming up, I mean, they're very much, you know, you're, they were looking to sort of force something through as a hearts were looking to get this done purely as a, you know, well, look, let us in the league, you know, 
as a kind of you know, apology to them more than anything, really. I'm not keen on these ideas because we're you know, we saw some of the ideas of I think it was 18, someone suggested or 16, with having a split. Then another split was one one that was put forward. Um, no, I don't like one split. Never mind having two. Um, I'm just until somebody can come up with a with I mean with just a suggestion that I think the that some of the chairman will be happy with. And like you say, there was there was so much pettiness went on with the chairman. Um, obviously, the careful how I word it, but you know, it very much looks like Dundee were were nobbled, shall we say, in the way that this vote was done for them. And you mentioned, you know, the, the Inverness one was the, was the same as well. There's something a bit, you know, it's it, there's something a bit off there as well. I know I don't have the answer. You know, we've we've, we've spoken about. It. I think we've done it a couple of times when we've done the podcast. We've kind of tried to come up with ideas. And nobody can agree. So, I mean, if we have three or four football fans on a podcast that can't agree, you know, I don't understand how you can expect 42 chairman to agree as well. I, I was surprised, um, Martin, that the, you know, the reconstruction on a permanent basis is one thing, you know, how we best organise ourselves. But we're in an unprecedented situation here. And I am surprised that the other chairman didn't just think we could go to 14 for one year, do a split of six and eight, uh, and relegate three clubs and have one up at the end of the year and get back to the 12 and take a year to then look at what proper reconstruction might look like. Because um, otherwise, you have all this shenanigans that none of us really know about to do with the meeting and all the rest of it. You have hearts getting relegated and, you know, everyone may have different views on the level of sympathy that they have about this because they were bottom of the league. But on the other hand, they didn't complete all the matches. Um if Aberdeen were four points behind with eight games left and with Hamilton twice and Ross County and all that, I would fancy our chance of getting out of that mess. And I think a lot of Hearts fans probably did as well. So the And, and bluntly, in a purely pragmatic way, uh, Hearts are a proper club who brings supporters and money and away fans and all the rest of it in a way that the Hamiltons and Ross Counties and so on and even St Johnston don't. So I, I am surprised at a time when, when money's at a real premium, the chairman didn't just say, look, forget relegation this year, we'll let Dundee United and Inverness up, because that's fair as well, and we'll press on with 14, and then we can look properly at reconstruction in, in due course. And I think that probably would have been fair. Uh, I think I need to stamp out quite quickly this element of sympathy towards hearts that seems to be developing as podcast <laughs> Simon, so I'm going to ask uh, John here that, um, I mean, the suggestions for a temporary reconstruction, uh, you can't imagine any of the sort of lower teams in the top flight voting for that because that essentially gives Hearts, you've got a much bigger budget than them, a chance of avoiding relegation. It means that three of them are in danger of going down the following season. That's not really very appetising to them, is it? No, that was always going to be a very hard sell to Hamilton, Ross County, etc. The clubs that Simon listed a moment ago, who are perennially in danger of relegation, you're tripling, or, or if you include the playoff, you're tripling the chance that they're going to go down. Um, you're making it far more likely that these clubs who can squeak by season by season like a Hamilton, you're making it far more likely they're going to get relegated. So it was... Um, going to be a very, very hard sell for Hearts on that. I also don't agree with the, the thought that clubs should have voted Hearts to stay in the top flight just because they're a bigger club. That's simply not how football works and it's not how we want it to work either. You don't want a top flight that's simply just made out of the biggest clubs in a country. You want it to be made out of the best clubs in the country. And for the last nine months or since this aborted season began, Hearts are not in the top 11 clubs in the country in terms of footballing ability or performance. Hamilton, St Johnston, Ross County, clubs that are much, much smaller on paper have played much, much better and won more games. Therefore, they deserve to be in the top flight rather than Harps. I appreciate that the season wasn't finished and I think I was... While I don't have sympathy for Harps, I think you can be too blasé about it because obviously they're scunnered by this and, and we would be too. Um, I can I can definitely see a point of view from a Hearts perspective, which is that they've been hard done by. But with the the mitigating circumstances here, with the the one of a kind, we hope um, reason for ending a season like this, I'm far more in favour of punishing a team like Hearts for being bad. I use punished in inverted commas there, than I am for punishing Dundee United for being good. So I think that. Promotion was essential as a result of this because to undo everything that Dundee United had done by playing so well for a season and, and winning a league essentially at a canter, to undo all that work by cancelling promotion and relegation would not have been, I would have found that a much 
more bitter pill to swallow than what has actually happened. Ultimately, for promotion, there needs to be relegation. Hearts are going to be the victims of that. Um, but, but simply, they were the worst team in the league on a points-per-game basis or by any basis you really care to measure them by at the time when circumstances led to the season being concluded. So, you know, simplistic as it may sound, Hearts have to go down so that Dundee United can come up and you can replicate that through all the leagues. The worst team has to go down so that the best team can come up. Yeah, that was kind of like my thought process as well, Simon. Um, I was thinking that you can't really hand out the prizes with, without also calling out the losers, if you will, by also having relegation. I totally agree with, and then, you know, I, I listened to what John was saying there, and I, you know, agree with, with that. And relegation is a vital part of the competition as well. And, you know, if you start the season thinking Celtic are probably going to win the league, then the competition, if you're not around the European places, then the competition really is around, around relegation. And actually this year we're looking at a very, exciting relegation battle with a number of teams um, still involved in it. So I agree that to cancel it does um, completely detract from the idea of competition and also that in every year the worst team, whoever they are, should be relegated. So I I totally agree with all of that. I I guess I was viewing this as being a completely unprecedented situation where the finances of all the clubs is under severe threat uh, there are issues about how they're going to be able to play and uh, whether crowds are going to be possible or uh, you know at all or in a restricted way or whatever and that it might have been an opportunity to just for the chairman to say actually you know what just this once we'll just make it 14 and we'll do it that way I totally get all John's arguments and why that's why that's not happened and, um, and I, I completely agree that it would be totally unfair on Dundee United who have spent a lot of money and, and won the league um, I know there's some games to go, but clearly going to win the league quite comfortably. You know, absolutely, 100%, they need to be in the in the top league next year. No question. To, to do anything else would be completely unfair. Martin, should we be in any way surprised that every single SPFL club has voted in their own self-interest? Uh, absolutely not at all. Um, you know, I, I, I know you're, you can't be you can't be remotely shocked by that. Unfortunately, you know, we've seen it so many times in the past. You know, the 11 and 1 voting structure as well that they had. You know, having that voting structure just breeds for, you know, everybody's going to, going to look after themselves. And I can't, you know, criticise, particularly like your lower your lower teams, um, your Ross County, um, Hamilton, teams like that. Can't criticise them at all, really, for doing that because they have to, I suppose, look, at, look in their own self-interests. And as you know, as was mentioned earlier there, you know, if we'd, if we'd, if we'd changed to 14, um, these teams were... Looking really in big trouble when we when we go back to putting some more down. So you 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 can't. I don't think you can judge them for that. Um, football is no is very cutthroat. You know, there's not exactly a lot of money. You know, the Scottish t- top division anyway. Um, never mind. You no, know, the lower leagues down. Um, so each team, you know, unfortunately, is is going to put their interests at the forefront. Okay, so we're edging back towards a restart of football in Scotland. Obviously, some other countries have uh, resumed their league campaigns, um, predominantly behind closed doors. Uh, was it the Belarusian league that just played on regardless? That was that was one strategy we could have just employed. But we're edging towards a situation where, obviously, it will be behind closed doors football. At least that's the assumption. I think there's been some noises, obviously, based on the last couple of um, public press conferences by Nicola Sturgeon that it might be possible to have some fans in the ground come August, but I think that's probably wishful thinking. Is it football, John? Is it football if it's buying closed doors? There's been a few bits and pieces of games that I've watched that have been watchable, I'll say, but there's been none of the the same intensity that I look for. I'll I'll admit I don't watch a great deal of English football at the best of times, Um, it's just not something that really interests me anymore beyond um, going to Crystal Palace games with my friend and getting very drunk and even then I don't watch very much football. Um, so what I've seen has been um, tepid, shall we say, and it's hard not to pin that on the lack of a crowd. You can pin it on fitness issues or um, players not quite being up to speed. Perhaps if we give it another couple of weeks we'll see the English team start to perform a bit more like their usual selves. But as that league continues and all of the the key issues are, are settled, so, you know, I, I don't know what the score is at the moment, but Liverpool might well end up winning the league tonight. Um, the top four race isn't perhaps as exciting as it's been in, in other seasons. And relegation, I think, 
uh, two of the three spots are almost set in stone now. So there's going to be a hell of a lot of dead rubbers in that league, and dead rubbers are bad enough at the best of times, but if you're adding players that maybe aren't at 100% in front of empty stadiums to that mix, the quality of the game is is poor to say the least. Now, you can argue that at least they're finishing the season, but I don't see the merit in it. There are there are people's, you know, it's, it's being handled, particularly in England and Germany and in rich leagues, it's being handled in a very safe way, and I've no doubt that it's being handled as safe as, as a sporting event like this can be. But you hear of some ridiculous lengths that teams are going to. Crystal Palace drove their entire squad from London to Liverpool and back last night in individual people carriers. Every single member of the squad had their own private transport. These are the lengths that have to be gone to just to put on a safe football match in front of closed doors in a game where Palace barely even turned up. You wouldn't have known they had 11 men on the pitch for the majority of the 90 minutes. I I don't see those means as being worth it when you see the end product out on the pitch. Um, I don't see me watching much more of the behind closed doors football. I watched a bit of the German league at the start and found it much the same. Um, A real lack of intensity, a real lack of kind of vigour to the games it's not something I've been fond of which makes me worry about what uh, Scottish football is going to look like in August although at least it's a blank slate and everything's to play for at least in theory yeah because you can have a situation where you might Simon have first round of games say without any fans and you know there might be an advantage to certain clubs who would otherwise have gone for example if we if we're due Ibrox in the first round of games for example it might be an advantage to play there when there's no fans rather than go there in front of 50,000, for example. And it's going to lead to an imbalance, isn't it? Yeah, there is a risk that, that you will get, um, you, you know, an imbalance in, in some in respect of some of the games and that, you know, there are certain grounds, Tank Astor's another one, where uh, the, the home crowd makes a difference. There are other away grounds, and I think Tanadice is one, where uh, a big away support can make quite a big difference and actually having, you know, going to an empty Tanadice might be a disadvantage for, for Aberdeen. Um, I think I'll be interested to see that there is, a, to me, a, a difference between the big, glitzy, expensive leagues where they've had to um, get going quickly um, with, these, um, with these matches behind closed doors and what we might have in, in Scotland. I, I still have a suspicion that when it's Aberdeen on the TV, the fact that it's behind closed doors, we'll probably still get into it in the same way. And frankly, there are lots of matches which if you watch them with the sign down and pretend there was no crowds there, Scottish games, you think, my God, this is, this is not great. But it's the whole, you're interested in it, the whole thing that goes around it, that's what makes it so um, exciting, a real buy-in to the teams. And I think that, you know, if you sit and watch German football and you've not really got any connection with the teams at all and you're not, you've not been invested in the league up to that point, then it's not surprising you find it a bit tame. But if you were a really hardcore supporter of one of those teams, you know, if you were a Bayern fan and watched their 1-0 win over Dortmund that basically won them the league, I think you'd have probably found that pretty exciting. Well, that's an interesting point. Uh, I'll put it to Martin because, uh, I mean, it's one thing watching the Spanish League, the German League, the English League, where you would normally be watching those games at home anywhere, maybe down the pub. The thing about Aberdeen games, for most of us anyway, I know there's a lot of expats out there who listen to this and uh, would normally be watching Aberdeen on Red TV anyway, so it might not be a huge difference for them, but the whole thing is going to the game. The whole thing is the uh, walk down Markland Road, the whole thing is the pint beforehand, the whole thing is the, is the occasion. Uh, yeah, absolutely is. I mean, that's what puts, I think, will put the majority of us Put, put, puts the majority of us off the kind of whole idea of of closed doors football. I mean, I understand, you know, with with Germany and with England particularly, and well, probably obviously Spain because of Barcelona and Real Madrid. You know, there are massive, massive commercial concerns that you know they had to get they had to get these leagues on, um, you know, at at all costs. I mean, there was no. There was no, there was no, there's no monetary figure been putting on it, but I did see it. I was quite an interesting documentary on the Sky, on Sky Sports the other night about you know the the, the, the lengths Manchester City have gone to get the games on um, in terms of you know the, t- the amount of testing they've done, getting all the players in together, and you know it was quite interesting to see that sort of thing. Obviously, other clubs are going to have to do that. You no, know, Aberdeen's going to have to Aberdeen's going to have to try and get that done as well in terms of getting people back for training then for the matches. Um, so it will be that will be interesting to see what happens there, but. I'm just no. As it, where it comes to getting the matches on, there's no substitute for being at the game. 
um, you know, I think you know pretty much anybody who's a football fan will would would agree with that. There is you, know, you can't beat you know like you said, that that walk down Merkland Road, that getting into the game. Yes, some Scottish games. Simon's absolutely right there. Some Scottish games can be you know can be really atrocious. Um, the standard, you know, I mean, the standard isn't 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 great sometimes, but the standard of some of these English games have been has been pretty awful as well. I mean, I found myself watching more more televised football than I normally do just to just to have something to do of an on an of an evening. To be honest, I'm not sure that starting up the league so soon is the right thing. Um, I understand, you know, you, the you know, clubs need to try and you know, get something going, but the, the amount of money that's going to be lost, we're, we're led to believe. By not having crowds there, um, is astronomical. Um, you know, we've all heard what Dave Cormack's been saying about you know potential losses for Aberdeen. Um, it's going to be bigger for two of the clubs in the con- our clubs in our country as well. Um, I'm not sure it's the right, it's the right thing at the moment, um, but you know it looks like it. No, as we stand, it's going to be going ahead. They're going to be starting, um, pending obviously um, any more kind of you know spikes in the virus and or. Um, the court case, uh, but I'm just I'm just not convinced that starting starting the season behind closed doors is the right thing. Um, a, perhaps a curtailed season would have been a way to go. Um, perhaps maybe only playing each other twice, but then that comes back to the commercial concerns about having you know wanting Celtic and Rangers games with the Sky TV deal. Behind closed doors games are absolutely not for me. Um, you know we've, we've seen it be credited to about twenty different people over the last few days, but it's true. You no know, football without fans is nothing. Well, let's take a, a bit of a dive into you know what the actual financial impact is on the club right now. Um, Dave Cormack has been very vocal, um, fairly transparent as well to his credit on um, the impact on AFC and uh, took quite fairly decisive action early on. But uh, we're still. Nowhere near plugging the gap, and he speaks about a ten million pound gap. And based on the based on the turnovers um, that Aberdeen can normally expect to achieve, I, I think that's probably um, a fair enough assumption. I'm looking at the last published accounts here. Turnover sixteen million, just short of sixteen million. And um, of that sixteen million, five point four million is on gate receipts. Now, obviously. A lot of people have renewed their season tickets, so there will be some money coming into the club, but you can only assume that it's less than half of that 5.4 million. Uh, 1.5 million in sponsorship, again, that is likely to be affected by the overall economic downturn that's uh, happening right now and will continue for some time after we get back to some sense of normality. The broadcasting amount was 2.4, 2.5 million. In 2018-19, um, the one upside is that that should actually now go up for next season, so that will be increasing. But the other thing we speak about gate receipts being impacted. Well, Aberdeen do exceptionally well when it comes to commercial revenue, by which we mean things like corporate uh, selling corporate seats and uh, corporate tickets and executive boxes and things like that. We actually made more from that in 2018-19 than we did from gate receipts. So we took in 5.8 million in 2018-19 and that's also obviously at risk. So yeah, quite comfortably you're looking at, you're looking at 10 million there, Simon. It's, uh, it's, it's gonna have a devastating impact on every club in the country. Yes, absolutely. And that, and that goes back to, you know, the, the point I was making about perhaps thinking about pragmatism in relation to, to hearts. Clubs are going to have to think about every possible bit of income that they they can get. You know, how do you how do you sustain income when you have no product to sell? And that's really the the question that lots of businesses are facing. But it's a question that that that, that Aberdeen are facing now. A lot of clubs have met this by um, releasing large numbers of players. So you've seen clubs, you know, Motherwell are, are one example who released a huge number of players that, that all came to con- the end of the contract at the same time. And they and they release them. I would imagine that most Scottish clubs um, would now accept much lower transfer fees for their best talent than would have previously been the case. And you know, last week when we were uh, when we were getting uh, Hayes, there was a lot of rumours about how it was one in, one out, um, and whether that one would be. Well, a lot of people seem to think the one would be McKenna, um, and I think that if. Um, if Celtic do sell Ayer, then it wouldn't be a big surprise if they come back in for McKenna and offer us the same or less than they offered us before. And it'll be interesting to see what our position on that will be because, you know, we do have 
this is a huge amount of money and no amount of you know people paying 18 or 20 quid or whatever it is for DNA uh, per month is really going to be able to, to bridge that gap. And all our, all our competitors are going to be in exactly the same boat. It's really, really tough. And some of them, you know, those with, I've seen um, Rangers, as an example, you know, going and signing players, signing Hadji and paying a transfer fee, still got the balance on Kent to pay. They've signed another player from, from Leicester City on a four-year contract. So they're still spending money and not taking money in. And I don't really follow where that's, where that's going to come from. Well, that's a whole different brand of economics that goes on down there. Uh, and obviously, there is there is a number of DNA subscriptions. If we manage to add on an extra 500,000 DNA subscriptions, we'll recoup the 10 million that we've lost. So that's your challenge, uh, Robert Wicks. Yeah, uh, John, obviously, um, it's had a big impact. But in terms of the Aberdeen squad, there was obviously, at the start of last season, a decision was made to try and avoid the big turnover we've had at the end of the last couple of seasons, losing key players every time. And there weren't actually very many players out of contract at the end of last season, which in in some ways is a good thing. It means we have a settled squad. But in another way, it means that that ability to cut those costs is is reduced. Yeah, that's right. Um, When you look at uh, the players that we've announced we're releasing, there aren't any names that scream out to me that we're going to miss them uh, terribly, like there have been in, I think, pretty much every single Derek McInnes season so far. Um, You know, in previous podcasts and and, and for years under Derek McInnes, we've been crying out for the stability that we've got this season. It's almost a cruel irony that the one time we're actually getting this consistency in the squad is the one time when everything's so up in the air and we don't know if and when we'll be playing football again. Um, It's an interesting point that perhaps we might have been looking to shift some people that, uh, you know, we can't now as a result of this. I certainly think that some of the other clubs in the league are going to be taking advantage of uh, the virus in a different way to us. You look at um, Motherwell losing out on Richard Tate because they offered him a contract and then decided, even though he'd signed it, that they wanted to reduce the terms of it. And he, quite rightly, within his within his rights, said no to that and now he's at St Mirren. We have availed ourselves of that opportunity by having the consistency in the long contracts for the first time. Um, you know, I, I would hope that we wouldn't do something as underhanded as what Motherwell have done there, but we've we've lost some of these opportunities. I think that the squad is going to look slightly different next season to how McInnes would have expected. I think had there not been coronavirus, I think Greg Lee would have been signed on permanently. But I think that um, having to pay a fee for him and the availability of Hayes put paid to that idea. Um, I think that, that we'll come to Hayes later, I'm sure, but I think that that was too obvious an opportunity to miss up. So other than that, I think I can't see us signing very many other players. I think that they'll be part of the Aberdeen boardroom. will be thinking to themselves that the signing of Ronald Hernandez was done at perhaps the worst possible time it could have been um, completed. If we've spent the sort of money that some in the Norwegian media seem to think, if you think it's going to be close to a million or, or maybe even slightly over a million that we've spent on him, that's that's a significant sum of money at the best of times and now an even more significant sum when you look at the way our income streams have been have been, uh, have been lost. And that's for a player who's played a total of about 120 minutes for us and who knows if and when we'll get to see him back on the park. I'm not saying we shouldn't have signed him or anything like that. I'm just saying that, that some of the financial outlay that we made looks slightly different now in this light. Obviously, no one could predict that, but it's it's interesting to kind of think back on, on some of the decisions that have been made recently and how they're going to impact on the club going forward. Let me just double back to... Um the point that you raised, Simon, about some of um, those star assets, McKenna being one, Lewis Ferguson clearly being another one, Cosgrove would have presumably attracted a degree of interest from down south and they would have expected decent money for him. Um, the point being that um, Dave Cormack has made it clear that uh, the deferrals, which were announced back in April, uh, we're going to have to go further than that. And I think from what's been in the press as opposed to what's been in the official statements, um, that they're looking for the players to forego bonus monies, appearance monies and so on. But that's obviously going to be a change to their existing contracts. So would that mean that players, for example, Scott McKenna is a very good example because here's someone who put in a transfer request 12 months ago, players would then presumably get the opportunity to walk away 
considering that that's their contract broken, or is that a misreading? Well, it probably wouldn't work like that because the players would just say no. So, so if um, if if Aberdeen went to McKenna and said, "Look, uh, bad news, but everyone's going to have to take a twenty five percent cut, not a deferral, but a cut, and you're included in that." And by the way, bonuses are going as well. If he just said, "Well, no, I, I don't, I don't agree to that. Uh, I've got a contract, and you're you're obliged to, to stick to it." Then he could he could do that. Um, the the one negotiating um, lever that the clubs had at the beginning of this was that all standard form SPFL contracts contain a clause to the effect that the contract can be suspended if the Scottish FA suspends football. Now, football was suspended by the Scottish FA in the middle of March, um, just uh, just after the the trip to Motherwell that we didn't get, and. The clubs, I think, many clubs used that as a lever to renegotiate with the with their players. So they said, "Look, we could theoretically just suspend your contract, and so pay you nothing until football resumes. But we're not going to do that. We're going to um, negotiate something with you. You'll get something, but it'll not it'll not be nothing. But it'll be less than you would otherwise get, or it'll be a deferral. Whereas if uh, we get to the point where the season's starting and the players are back in training, so McKenna is going to work and um, the club says to him, you, you need to take a cut. He would be well within his rights to say no. And the club actually could not just do that unilaterally. If they, if they did simply try and impose it unilaterally, then yes, they would be in breach of contract. And then there would be an issue about whether he had an, he had an obligation to stick to his part of the bargain if they weren't sticking to theirs. For an asset worth two or three million pounds, there's no way Aberdeen would take that risk. No way they would take the risk. They would continue to pay him and others in full. And then you get a difficulty because um, what happens if one or more players says no and other players are minded to accept? Then you've got split in the dressing room as well. So it's a really, really tricky situation for, for Aberdeen to be in. And it was easier at the start of this when this suspension thing happened. And it was also easier to sell a deferral. So you say, well, look, okay, you, you go um, three months without um, 30% or whatever. At that time, you know, think back to March, we all thought this was only going to be for a matter of weeks um, at that point. So the deferral was easier to sell. But with the players back in training and Aberdeen simply saying to players, I'm afraid we can't afford to pay your contract anymore, then McKenna's answer would be, well, Aston Villa or Celtic will pay me that, so just let me go. Well, I mean, that's uh, obviously putting words which we won't necessarily assume are in Scott McKenna's mouth, but um, it's just an interesting point which might come out of this in terms of, you know, the squad may at other times wish to act collectively, but again, there'll be players who are minded to think of their own self-interests at this point in time. But um, leaving aside the um, difficulties that we find ourselves in and the players who have sadly had to leave, John Gallagher, Greg Lee, Frank Ross, amongst them Thomas Cherney, um, word of discussions on a new deal with him, but presumably a, a reduced rate. We'd certainly miss his Instagram account if, if he went, so I'm hoping Thomas Cherney stays. Um, the, the news which was... Del- uh, greeted with, well, not universal acclaim, Martin, because no thing associated with Aberdeen is ever um, greeted with universal acclaim these days, it would seem. I think if we were to, to beat Real Madrid in the European final again, there'd still be some miserable fuckers on Twitter who uh, who, who said we weren't uh, winning stylishly enough. Uh, Johnny Hayes re-signed for the club. Not only that, but he has deferred his entire wage for 12 months. That is some gesture. Oh, it really is. It's a it's a fantastic gesture, and I mean, I understand. Okay, it's it's, it's only a deferral, but no, but he is no, he's helping the club out. While he, while he's not playing for free, he's helping the club out. You know, he what? No, I think it says it shows a lot of the you no know, the draw of the northeast, the draw of Aberdeen. You know, he wants to come back up here. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stories as to why, whether it's you not know, about his family and things like that. But he wanted to come back to Aberdeen. You know, he could have gone to. You know, there was rumours of Dundee United. There was obviously rumours of Reading as well. You know, he, want, he wanted to be here. Um, and that's the first thing that you probably ask when you're looking at signing a player. You know, do you want? How much do you want to be at Aberdeen? So he ticks all those boxes there. I mean, look, he's Johnny Hayes. So there, no, we know what he's capable of. Um, you know, the club have obviously tried to spin it as, you know, he's come comes back a better player. Well, he was a great player when he left. Um, so if he comes back a better player, no, 
I don't think I could. I don't think I could be any happier. Um, yeah, I'm, del- I'm delighted. I'm, uh, personally, I'm delighted he's came back. You know, um, he probably comes back and immediately he's the best player at the club. Um, you know, you could maybe argue that, but I mean, I, I think you know, he comes back and we've signed a player who is, yeah, he's the best player and he would be the best player in the team. Um, where where he plays is an argument, you know, that I'm sure we'll hear as well. Um, you know, I know some people were saying, well, no, Mark Ken- Mark Kennedy plays on the wing, you know, he'll have to be left back. Well, if he's left back, he's left back, you know. He's you know, he's an excellent footballer. He's got a hell of an engine on him. Great delivery. Um, one one also one small thing as well that you know, is is a positive of coming back is you know if you want to get the best out of Niall McGinn you put Johnny Hayes on the other wing um, so hopefully you know that we see an upturn um, in the consistency and things of of Niall McGinn um, I'm really you know personally I can't really I struggle to see any negatives in this one John you try and find us a downside <laughs> and I'm not sure I can see too many negatives in it either um, I think that as a as a signing you can compare it quite quickly and quite easily to re-signing Niall McGinn 18 months ago I think it was I think um, two players of similar age at the same time of re-signing them uh, players who obviously have had very similar careers at Aberdeen and, and there's, there's a million different links and similarities between the two and I actually think that re-signing Hayes now makes more sense even than signing McGinn did 18 months ago um, Hayes is a, a fitter player with more stamina and he's more versatile uh, than, than Niall McGinn I've got certainly no issues about Johnny Hayes' age whereas signing McGinn on the was it four year contract we signed him for 18 months ago that still looks like a bit of a red flag to me because he's uh, sorry McGinn um, while he doesn't tend to get injured too much I don't think he runs at 100% in the same way that Hayes can for 90 minutes week in week out um, plus Hayes has the added benefit of being able to play in, in multiple positions he spoke to Red TV about playing on the right wing if needs be I don't know how often he played there for Aberdeen in the past but that maybe solves the, the Matty Kennedy issue um, I think that uh, McInnes is very keen to have a squad filled with wingers and we've certainly got that now with probably six, seven maybe even players playing on the wing in the first team squad. So Hayes' ability to fit elsewhere into the team, uh, left back example, um, left back for example, is to his credit. I think it's a, it was a, a very obvious and very sensible signing that's very easy to get excited about. Um, we, we spoke on Twitter in the last couple of days about whether it's sensible to go back to where you've had your your best spell of your career and and uh, we pointed out that players coming back to Aberdeen typically do very well and I fully expect Johnny Hayes to to do that and to to be if not our best player one of our best players in the forthcoming season yeah that was, that was quite an interesting conversation obviously um a lot of the usual names brought uh, brought to the table and I think um, the important thing is, Simon, is that they can do well, but you shouldn't expect the same player that we had before. No, and I think if you sign a, a 32-year-old winger, then you always wonder if he, you know, how long will he have the, the pace that he had. One thing I, I think about Hayes is that um, a lot of players get wear and tear injuries from a long, you know, a lot of games over a, a, a long period in their career, but. Hayes was at Reading and Leicester early in his career and didn't play a lot of games there and then really only got going when he was at Inverness in his early 20s. So he didn't play a lot of first-team football as a teenager and he's played less than 70 games, I think, for Celtic in the last three years. So actually it seems to me that there probably are quite a lot of miles left on the clock and I don't know if we'll get the real um, burst of acceleration you know, towards the end of the second year of his contract when he's pushing uh, 34. But I think that um, he'll certainly be able to play at left-back He'll probably, um, you know, be, be the best person for the, the position alongside Kennedy and McGinn or, or fighting with those two for the positions in the wings as well. And also there was a period um, when uh, uh, Ryan Jack was injured and he's played in a sort of holding role in, in midfield. And I know we're kind of overrun with those kind of players now after we signed uh, McGeeck as, as well as Ojo and, and Ferguson's in there and we've still got um, Bryson if that, if that really counts. So, but, but Hayes could also um, have a role there. So I, I, I can see virtually no downsides in, in signing Hayes. He is a good, as good a player as we could reasonably have expected to sign. I can certainly see Hayes playing a sort of ball carrying role in the centre. Maybe not necessarily the holding role, but uh, but no, at centre of the park he was definitely used uh, before as well. And um, yeah, both sides of the park, no doubt. Full back, 
up the pitch in the middle. Um, hugely versatile. Yes, he's 32 and will be 34 by the time his contract um, expires. But, um, you know, I think even without the gesture, even without the fact that he uh, won't be taking a wage per se over the next 12 months, then um, I think it's a, a very, very good signing for Aberdeen to have made. Uh, but it might well be the, the only one before we before we start football again, Martin. Um, but you look at the squad and there's not... Yeah, we we all want newer, shinier things, obviously, but there's no glaring parts of the pitch where we've... It's still maybe the number 10 rule is perhaps the one that you'd centre on. I'm an Aberdeen fan, so of course I'm greedy and always want more. You know, if, you, if you look at it realistically with you know, the kind of hat on of you know, where we find ourselves as well, um, you know, of the, the, there's, you know, there's no real kind of you know, places where you would demand... You know, and, and, and someone else. You know, I mean, Cosgrove is the Cosgrove. Unless you no, know, unless Cosgrove gets sold, you know, Cosgrove is the guy. You know, he's going to be playing up front. So we've got a very good striker there. Um, we also have Curtis Main. Um, and we've got Bruce Anderson as well. Um, so you know, striker wise, I think we're doing fine again. You know, McGinn, McGinn can play up there. You know, we've got we've got options there. Um, yeah, you see the number ten. Is is the one um, because we're no we're, as as Johnny mentioned there we're overloaded um, with wingers which you know McInnes seems to like which you know that's fine you know we could we have but we have players that can that can play there and play there well um, I don't think we'll see anybody else come in no I mean I know there's perhaps been talk of Hoban um, coming back um, but that's kind of gone cold um, you know I don't know if anybody any of the eagle-eyed people you know have seen him I don't know if he's turned up at Cormac Park at all. Um, I haven't seen anything mentioned about him, so that's the only thing I can really think. If we're, if someone else is going to appear, that it might be Hoban. But um, you know, I'm I'm relatively I'm, I'm I would say I'm more than more than relatively happy with the squad as we find it now. Um, and you know, what you no know, if when we get things going, um, you know, you have to be confident. Poor Tommy Hoban, definitely the unluckiest man in football. Two cliche uh, injuries in two years and just about to get his career restarted and as a global pandemic. So you've got a feel for the lad. There'll be a, there'll no doubt, John, be a short list for, you know, if McKenna goes or if Ferguson goes. There'll be, there'll be people, possibly low cost options like Tommy Hoban, who you hope would be identified and, uh, out there. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I agree that uh, the squad looks great as it does right now, but if we are to believe that we need to sell someone to balance the books, which I'm unsure whether we do need to sell someone or not, but if we do need to sell someone, then unfortunately two of the three options for sales would be McKenna and Cosgrove, and I think that that would leave us a bit short. Um, I think that Martin was maybe a bit more optimistic about the abilities of Maine and Anderson than I would be if <laughs> Cosgrove was to leave. And I don't know that I would fancy going into next season with... Only Devlin, Ash Taylor and Andy Considine as centre-backs. Um, I think you really need an extra body in there. So, uh, on one hand, I can see why we're talking at the moment, um, the club are talking at the moment about no more signings or not anticipating any more signings. But I would be amazed if there wasn't a list. I, I mean, you can almost say with certainty there's a list. Someone like Marcus Fraser may be released by Ross County. He's a name that I've thought about who's always looked okay whenever I've seen Ross County. Free agent, centre-back. It's going to be that kind of market that we move in. The kind of um, younger, young-ish players who've had a few seasons in the top flight in Scotland who kind of know the game and know what Aberdeen are about. Those are the kind of names I can see us being in the market for plus the kind of left-field loan signings that McInnes is uh, so fond of. We shouldn't forget the Atlanta United link-up. Um, that's a source that could potentially be a source of players for us at little to no cost and little to no risk as well. Um, I don't think John Gallagher really set the header alight for us. He was a useful player to have. But if we can get someone of his versatility and maybe his physical attributes, if not necessarily the footballing attributes, that could be a useful avenue to go down in terms of just padding the squad out a little bit. Yeah, it could be. I think what a lot of people missed with regards to John Gallagher is that a lot of Atlanta's uh, younger players wouldn't have been able to get a work permit to come over here, of course. <laughs> um, so that might be an impediment. But uh, but yes, that's, um, that is obviously an avenue that could be explored. So w- what do we think, Simon, for next year? Obviously, we've got the... Uh, 
the Europa League, um, and it's going to be one-off ties. Still four qualifying rounds. Aberdeen will be starting in the first of those. Um, does that make it easier, more likely for us to uh, get beyond the dreaded third round, or do you think it makes a very little difference? I'm not sure how much difference it makes. I think there is there has been a bit of a help in, in the years that we've done well in the European ties where we've played the likes of Dungava or the Finnish team, whose name I can't remember, last year, um, and probably last year got away with a couple of quite poor performances really against a really weak team and got that out of our system before we start playing the, the better ones. So I think going in cold, some of the teams that we've played in these um, in, in, in those um, first round matches have actually been pretty decent and so there possibly is something in getting a bit of a um, competitive action under the belt before that starts but I would still be reasonably confident, I mean the, the, everyone's going to be in the same boat they haven't played a lot of matches for, for a long time either. We'll be playing teams that, you know, that uh, they're maybe not used to playing with each other, haven't, are coming in cold as well. Um, I think, you know, I heard what everyone said about the squad. I think there probably will be some other uh, movement out. I think one of the things that Derek's been very good at over the years is moving out players quite quickly if he feels that they don't cut it. Um, I certainly would be surprised if we still have Hedges at the club next season because I don't think Derek trusts him or rates him and I think his career is probably going on the skids a wee bit if he stays at, at Aberdeen. Uh, I mentioned Bryson before as well as being someone who maybe doesn't look like he's going to be able to contribute. So I think we'll probably have a leaner um, squad. I think there'll probably be more opportunities for, for younger players coming through. Probably see Campbell getting a lot more games. Might even see Ross getting some more games. Um, and I'd be pretty confident about getting through the first European round. I think the, the trouble is going to be when we get to the the round after that and we start getting into the draw with the equivalents of um, Rayeka and teams of that sort of level, it is always going to be a real difficulty to get past them. Well, just finally uh, today, let's uh, have a discussion about uh, the grandly titled um, football philosophy strategy document that uh, Aberdeen released today to great fanfare on their website. Uh, Martin, you've taken a read of it. What do you make of it? As always with many of these things, um, it's you know, there's always a sales angle attached to it. Basically an appeal for people to... To, to if you haven't renewed to get your season ticket in, and if you know if you if you can, perhaps DNA as well. You know, it mentions obviously the extra funds and things like that that would be available to help out to help the club. Um, the main thing that comes in those, I suppose it comes from someone we've just been talking about as well, is that you know with the, with the squad, um, you know it talks about obviously the football, like you say, the football strategy. Um, huge huge focus there on homegrown talent, um, which is a common sense thing. I mean, you know we've. We've heard it before um, from people within the club, and I think we all realise that you know Aberdeen have to develop young players, shift them on. Perhaps you could just say to a foreign league for a big fee, really, um, unless they're someone like Ryan Fraser, obviously. So there, there is some stuff in there that's you know, that's that is that is interesting. You know, hearing about how they talk about um, you know predicting the three years ahead of where the players are going to be. Um, where we saw some of the players that left in the summer, some of the younger players like. Um, uh, Dangana and I think it was um, one of the Ross brothers as well went. You know, perhaps they would have been given another year if if we didn't find ourselves in the pandemic. We do, but Aberdeen are going to be looking to promote young players into the squad, looking to get looking to do that. You know, there's definitely a focus of that because we've done it be- because we've done it before. Um, with you no know, with varying levels of success, so the pressure comes on these young players to come to make the step up. But I mean, it really was there was a lot of stuff in there. That really was just sort of just saying, look, no, we'd like some more money. Please support us, Simon. That was uh, certainly my thoughts. It was a sales document. Martin said, and I think that that's that's fair enough. It's uh, it's almost seemed to be trying to justify the the DNA purchase as to where that money goes. Obviously, try and increase that base. The thing that strikes me is that we appear to be making less of an effort necessarily to grow the. Irregular supporter base, you know, closing down parts of Pataudry for next season, but obviously trying to get more money out of existing supporters. Yes, and and one of the things that did leap out at me, um, which I regard as a a positive about this, was that there had been an increase of 10% of subscribers to DNA since the um, COVID outbreak. 
So people obviously are thinking, right, the club's in, in difficulty here, I should, I should put some money in. And that's, you know, if that's an extra 600 people, then I think the club's doing, doing well with that. Um, the other thing I, I thought about this, it's easy to get to read these things and think, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, what difference is this going to make? It's just it's a lot of, sort of corporate lingo. But it does um, at least give the impression that we are thinking about the organisation, that we're planning properly, um, that we have professional, intelligent, capable people running things. And um, that hasn't always been the case, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, if you think about the sort of level of planning that we've seen in eras under um, other management teams, um, you know, I, I think you read these documents, you think, well, great, and and you know, there is a lot to be to be said for for putting these proper plans in place. However, if they are going to have this, you know, this talk of of a pathway for young players and all the rest of it, then we are maybe going to have to think about giving them more of a chance. Because I think a lot of people will read this and say, well, you talk about the investment in the in youth policy, and fair enough, we've, we've had McKenna come through. But um, beyond that, Campbell is still in and around the fringes, has been there for a while, looks like a good player, will probably come to something in, in due course. But we have released quite a lot of players. So Ross, Frank Ross was one that there was big high hopes for for a, a long period of time, is away um, already. Scott Wright has got a year, I would say this is probably his last year to make a go of it, otherwise he'll be away. Cammy Smith didn't make it. Uh, Shankland was here and didn't make it. So you know there are there are there has been a track record of um, Derek not having the faith in young players and really giving them an opportunity and then them going. So I think if we're going to uh, talk the talk like this about the the academy and 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 how important it is to us, then that really has to bear fruit in terms of, of first team players coming through. Has Shankland made it yet? Interesting question. Scotland goal, yes. Scotland cap, but. Still not played for a top flight team yet. Um, anyway, um, John, um, it's, it is quite easy to be to be sceptical about stuff like this because I suppose we're not used to seeing almost uh, American-style documents like this uh, justifying a, a philosophy and a strategy for, for, for FITBA. So um, are you sceptical about it? I'm not sure if sceptical is the right word. I was slightly surprised by the document for reading it today. Um, it wasn't quite as bombastic as I expected it to be. Now, I think that's probably mostly down to the current situation and, and uncertainty revolving around football. But um, I think... I think this is a positive thing, but I think Dave Cormack has an ego roughly the size of Cormack Park. I think he's a man who likes the sound of his own voice and likes the idea of of leading things. And I think he's been a a fantastic chairman for Aberdeen so far. None of that is a criticism of him. Um, I think it's just perhaps in stark comparison to Stuart Milne, who was always much more timid and much more quiet. At least that was my reading of things. So when you see um, headlines about Dave Cormack arranging meetings to discuss what to think about renegotiating, you know, uh, I've lost a word. You see Dave Cormack trying to lead the negotiations or or take a, a key role in negotiations about league reconstruction. Um, I kind of expected this to this document to have a, bit, a little bit more pizzazz to it, maybe a bit more fireworks to it, and it's actually almost quite sombre at times. I think it's really trying to manage people's expectations in a way. I don't mean to to um, bang the expectations drum that's so often used against Aberdeen fans, but I think that when you compare it to previous the previous document, which I think came out in Easter of last year. This one is all focused on youth development and getting kids into the squad and talking about how we play the same style of football from under-12 age groups right through to the first team and about how that's building pathways into the first team. It's not about... This document isn't about making Aberdeen be... um, uh, more exciting in terms of the players that are coming into the squad it ties into to question marks about finances and income by laying out in black and white how much money we make from certain avenues to try and push us towards spending more money ourselves on the club So, and then you get to the manager's comments towards the end um, where he 
just bangs the same drum really he talks again and again about getting youth into the squad playing young players we already do that and and we have done that under under McInnes you'll you'll know your own stats there about how many academy products have been starting Aberdeen games for for decades now um I thought that the the document as a whole was encouraging um I, I did enjoy parts about uh, the youth team stats. Um, it's, it was interesting to read that the, our youth teams have played six Champions League winning Champions League winning clubs um, during this aborted season. It shows that we are taking these things seriously. But as a sales document, it, it's not very punchy. It's not. It's not really bigging us up in in a way. It's more talking about what the future is going to look like. I understand and appreciate that. But just given the way that Cormac's framed himself. Uh, during the, the shutdown I maybe expected it to read slightly differently It's entirely possible that I've read Dave Cormack wrong It's entirely possible that I've read this document wrong But that was how it hit me when I read it for the first time there It just wasn't quite as, as bombastic and, and over the top As I perhaps expected it to be uh, yeah, that's, that's quite the line about Dave Cormack Anyway, um, that came out today And it was just another sign that, that football is It's coming back in some form or other, it's coming back. 1st of August is the scheduled start date for the league campaign. We should get the fixture released in the next week or so. Again, another important step always on the uh, the summer roll towards the new season. So um, it, it, hints of normality are coming back to our footballing life. So um, one of those, obviously, is this podcast. And thank you for coming on this podcast tonight to John Sinclair. Thanks, John. Thanks very much. To Simon Cattle, thank you. Yes, thanks very much. And finally to Martin Cleanest. Thanks, Martin. Always a pleasure, Richard. We'll be back at some point when there's stuff to talk about. And uh, until then, come on you guys.